0: It's radio theater for your soul. It's radio theater for your soul. With storytellers gather around the mic. Come on, let's go. Live readings, traditional, contemporary, original, scripted plays, film, and poetry. With storytellers gather around the mic to be with your host, Miss Shanice C.L. Coleman, a.k.a. Courageous Love, Always Just a Cut Above. Yeah.
1: Hello, radio theater for your soul audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and welcome to my 2021-2022 Winter Series. Yay! My name is Shani C.L. Coleman, also known as Courageous Love, and I am your host who will be gathering with the storytellers around the mic weekly. Storytelling is a gift It is meant to be shared, and our mission is to continue to provide a global stage for storytellers of all genres of storytelling. This is the time where storytellers get to share their gift. And you, the listening audience, you are invited to join the gathering anytime at your convenience. So please stay tuned for a new story and a new storyteller weekly and seasonally. But before we get started, I thank God, my family, friends, and ancestors for their ongoing support. For those of you listening for the first time ever, Radio Theater for Your Soul has been the gathering place around the mic for storytellers since the beginning of 2016. Now, I took a hiatus in 2018, which led me to fully understand And embrace the benefits and healing properties of storytelling, which prior to creating this radio show, I may have taken for granted. Oh, but the storytellers, the listeners, you would not let me forget how important hearing someone's story really made the difference in your day, your week, your life. So in 2019, I pulled together thoughtful archival footage, photos, testimonials, and narration to reveal the making of this internet radio show in the form of a film, a documentary, something more visual, celebrating the fascinating minds and hearts of over 100 featured storytellers or as one of my friends in New York would say, AJ Muhammad would say, Story Healers. Yes, I love it. The feature-length documentary is titled Radio Theater for Your Soul a Docu Story. Now, it has been making the rounds on the film festival circuit, including The Harlem International Film Festival, the Bedford International Film Fest, Tylerman Film Festival, and the Marina Del Rey Film Festival, where I was honored with a recognition of Best Director of a feature-length documentary. So grateful for that. But prayerfully, more screenings to come to a location near you, and you will see what the spirit of storytelling on this show is all about. Please check out all of our past shows on podcasts anytime by visiting radiogathering.wixsite.com slash radiogathering. We're also in the archives on acceleratedradio.net and via the Accelerated Radio Network on iHeart iTunes, TuneIn, and Spreaker. Now, if you're on social media, please follow us at Radio Gathering on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the most recent updates. Finally, I am grateful to have this global stage as a gathering place to share my love of storytelling. Your support is appreciated. This is Radio Theater for Your Soul. I am Courageous Love. And you are listening to our 2021-2022 Winter Series.
2: Even from the subways of New York City, you're listening To Radio Theater for Your Soul.
1: So, does anyone want to know what Radio Theater for Your Soul is really all about? Yeah, tell us what is Radio Theater for Your Soul. You want to know what it's about? Oh, yes. Tell me. All right, all right. Well, I'll tell you in a nutshell. It is all about storytelling and storytellers featuring unique voices, the written and or unwritten words during this one-hour broadcast.
2: You're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul. Where storytellers gather around the mic.
1: Today, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Storyteller Gathering for the first time, the first storyteller of 2022, Mr. Damon P. Saleem. Damon P. Saleem was born June 13th in West Philadelphia to Darnell and Carver Saleem. Damon is the oldest of four children, Thais, Farida, and Jamila. Damon started acting at the age of 11 where he attended Freedom Theater in Philadelphia. After a few years of working in singing and rap groups, Damon became a student at the Philadelphia High School for the Creative Arts also known as Kappa, and it's the home of the music group, The Roots and Boys to Men. While in high school, Damon studied acting, television, and video production. After graduating, he landed his first professional acting job with the Children's Repertory Company, touring in five different states, including Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, and Maryland. After a two-year stint, Damon decided to continue his education and enrolled in New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, where he studied at the Circle in the Square studio. He completed the program, earning his Bachelor of Fine Arts in Drama. Damon was the lead in a United Negro College Fund commercial, where the late, great Ossie Davis did the voiceover. Damon also performed at the New Eurekan Poets Cafe and later guest starred on Law & Order as well as numerous independent films. Damon moved to Los Angeles where he guest starred on shows like Grace Under Fire, Walker Texas Ranger, and he co-starred in the film Caught Up. He also performed at the Common Ground Theater Festival in Los Angeles. Damon returned to Philadelphia where he now teaches kids acting and he's currently in pre-production for a TV pilot entitled Next Tuesday based on the short film in which he starred and John Legend actually performed the theme song to this film. Damon is married to Sahar Saluki for the past 14 years, and they have been together for over 21 years. In their union, they have a 17-year-old beautiful son named Ansar Damani Salim. Gathering hold of the mic to share his voice, his story is featured storyteller Damon P. Salim.
3: Greetings. My name is Damon P. Salim. I'm an actor, writer, filmmaker. And I am sharing with you my story growing up in the nation, the nation of Islam. But before I get into my story, I just want to take a few moments to remember the great, legendary Mr. Sidney Poitier, who was a great inspiration to me as an actor. And I enjoyed his work, the strength, the dignity that he brought to his work. And I just want to thank him for that and setting a great and setting the bar. So just want to send peace to his soul and his family and just have a moment of silence. Remember the great Mr. Sidney Poitier. Thank you. My story begins in West Philadelphia. Yes, the famous West Philadelphia. When I was born, I grew up on a street. Streetcar 58th and Baltimore, off of 58th and Baltimore. And I still see that apartment to this day when I ride over that side of the neighborhood. And at the time, West Philadelphia was a predominantly Jewish neighborhood prior to me being born and somewhat after me being born during the time after I was born. But by the mid to late 70s it was predominantly african-american neighborhood by the time i was around four years old we moved to 52nd and locust street and 52nd street was a very popular strip as they called it in west philadelphia you had a lot of black businesses at the time you had uh place called Punchy Seafood, Black-owned businesses, Fufu's Steak Shop. Uh, they had the famous Philly steaks in there and fries and burgers, and that was on the corner of my block of Lucas Street. You had Mitchell's Market, which is Black-owned business. You had a photo store, which my man Michael, who I went to Huey Elementary School with, which is around the corner from my, from my house. Excuse me. Um, his family owned the photo shop. You had the Fountainhead Bar and Fountainhead Cleaners. And that was, at the time, a Jewish-owned business. And then you had uh, Hakeem's Bookstore, which is still there on 52nd Street in West Philadelphia. Actually, one of the the most historical uh, Black-owned businesses because his daughter, unfortunately, Mr. Hakeem passed away some years ago, but his daughter now has the store, and that's still there. Um, You had all these beautiful Black businesses flourishing in the neighborhood. And we had a shoe store called Shaparo Shoes, which my mother worked. And that was owned by a Jewish man, as we call Mr. S, great man. Um, and that shoe store was really popular because he sold orthotics, which was a lift that they put in kids' shoes. And he was Mr. S, as we called him, as my mom called him, uh, was the only shoe store in Philadelphia that had orthotics. So people from all over, from North Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, South Philadelphia, Germantown, will come to Shapiro's shoe store. And that was also in the heart of 52nd Street. And my mother, as I said, worked there. So she was able to literally uh, walk to work every day, which 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 was great. And on the corner of my block, 52nd and Locust Street, was a movie theater called the locust theater and my that theater is where i saw a cooley high all of my bruce lee flicks game of death into the dragon and ironically let's do it again in uptown saturday night my dad took me to see those so it was great leave the house walk right across the street and go to the movies for me as a as a as a young african-american child to to see this at the time was amazing had everything i needed in my neighborhood all these beautiful black-owned businesses movie theater they also had a place called the aqua lounge on 52nd and Locage, which was a jazz club and i was unable to go in there but i i often hear my mom and my uncle talk about the time you could go in there and listen to some some amazing jazz during the time of early 70s around 72 73 my mother's childhood friend janice uh, her boyfriend beanie and, and beanie was a vietnam vet came home from vietnam and somehow beanie was introduced into the nation of islam and one day invited my parents to go to a meeting hey come on to this meeting and listen to this e-man speak at mosque number eight I believe it was at the time. So my parents go to to this mosque, and it transformed their lives. There they were introduced into the Nation of Islam. And Philadelphia, at the time, was a prominent, as they call, headquarters for the nation. Uh, Many have heard stories about the late, great Malcolm X opening and running some temples, and or mosques in Philadelphia, and that was true. And so you had Philadelphia, you had, of course, New York, you had, of course, Washington, D.C., Boston, and Chicago was the great headquarters of the Nation of Islam, where the great Honorable Elijah Muhammad resided and helped lead the religion slash movement during that time. So one of the things that you had to do in order to become a full member of the nation of Islam. Once you came to a meeting and you heard the teachings and you listened to what the Iman was saying and a lot of things, just to clarify, when people say, oh, the Muslims are bashing the white man, the Muslims are talking, to, calling him the devil. And yes, th- those terms were used um, based upon that you have to go back into the times when, so you're talking late uh, 60s, early 70s, when civil rights were still not right. <laughs> and so uh, you, you're talking about 1968 when Dr. King was assassinated. And uh, prior to that, of course, Malcolm X and Prada, that, of course, John F. Kennedy. So you, you're talking about a time when there was unrest, particularly with the African-American community because still trying to navigate, find our way into, quote unquote, society of the United States. So, but one of the things that I want to stress in terms of the meetings of the nation, it wasn't just about calling the white man the devil. It wasn't about, and, and let me just emphasize, meaning what white folks had done in terms of slavery, post-slavery, segregation and things like that, not allowing black people to live in, as full citizens, if you will. So one of the things that the nation strived on is doing for self. And so m- most of the meetings and teachings was about empowering us Allowing us to get better, showing us ways to become better human beings, become better parents, becoming better brothers and sisters towards one another, and and with that, striving to build your own and having self and not rely on the government. That was the, those were the main emphasis of the nation, and one of the ways. In the procedures, in order to become a member or to be to to become a Muslim at that time, is where you had to write a letter. And I don't know; I think they may have shared some of that in the Malcolm X movie. But just to give you an idea of that, just using that as an example. But so you, had my parents had to write a letter as to why they wanted to join the Nation of Islam, and usually you wrote your letter and you were accepted as a member, but it was a it was a, it was a process that you had to go through. And during that process you were given the last name X because we were taught that most of our last names were the last names of former slave owners. So for my parents, my father my father's name is Carver Sultan Salim and my mother's name is Darnell Saleem. And my father grew up as a, in a Catholic religion. And my father uh, passed on uh, when I was 16, but I often wonder how my grandparents accepted the fact that he was becoming a Muslim when he went and told them. I know I've been Muslim all my life. I mean, they accepted it because uh, they were coming to the mosque and we had events going on at the mosque as, I've gotten older, as I got older, my, my brothers and sisters, they would come and join those events. And also, um, of course, my parents got married. They were there as well. So they had, I guess they had no choice to accept it. But I know my mom, when I asked her about that, meaning I asked her, how did my grandma feel about her becoming a Muslim? And I remember my mother saying that my grandmother said at first she was, because my mom was raised Christian. My grandmother, the old Baptist, my grandmother went to a Baptist church. And so my grandmother said to her, as long as you believe in something, then I'll I'll support you. So that was great for my mom to hear. And ironically, two of her best friends from high school, uh, Sister Brenda and Sister Starlene, also became muslims and so sister brenda and her brother and her husband excuse me uh john or we called him brother yah at the time was living in cleveland ohio and then one day she and my mom were talking and my mom said yeah you know we went to this meeting for this new religion called the nation of islam and sister brenda said oh yeah we we're looking to join as well and now mind you they were in ohio at the time my mom was still in philly and how ironic that they wound up joining the same religion. And then years after that, Sister Brenda and Brother John moved back to Philadelphia where they continued to reside. But I just thought that, that was a irony, a cool story in terms of her two best friends also joining their religion and not knowing that the others were joining the Nation of Islam as well. So one of the things that took place once you joined the nation is you had to... Particularly if you like my parents, my father coming from the Catholic religion, my mother coming from the Baptist religion or Christianity, um, you had to change a lot of things about yourself. Your, your, your diet, your dress, meaning how you wore your clothing and how you presented yourself. And I'm not saying that to say if you're Catholic or Christian, you were no, I I don't mean it like that. It's just that once you join the nation, you stepped into a situation if you will where you literally were changing the perception that others may have had of you in the past right you were changing your 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 philosophy your way of thinking your way of looking at yourself as a black man in, in the United States during that time during that time which a lot of things are, have changed but some still as we know haven't so in doing so, changing your diet, meaning no longer eating pork, if you were raised or <laughs> eating pork and those things. And so for my parents, it really wasn't difficult. Uh, my parents were, the more they got into the religion, the more they got into the diet. Uh, Elijah Muhammad wrote a book called Eat to Live. And I recall a time when my parents would have garlic eating contest, yeah, so they would face sit in a chair facing each other, and take a piece of garlic, not a whole hove, just a piece, and eat it, and use potato chips as a chaser, and they did this to see who could outlast one another in eating the garlic. But also, and my brother and my and my uncle and I would watch. We would cringe and like you're just eating this garlic and it's harsh and, 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 but it was, it's good for you. And so that was their fun way, I guess of getting healthy and we witnessed this. So it was true. They had garlic eating contests, but, but the thing that, that really uh, for me as a child, captured me in the religion was the discipline and the community that the nation had. So once they joined, they would go to these meetings and the, and and going back to where we lived on 52nd Street mosque number 5 i believe it was was right off of 52nd of Walnut we literally could walk it was about two blocks from my house and so there were they had meetings so like most religions you go to church on Sunday uh and then in 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 the case of of Islam you go to juma on Friday which is equivalent to going to church but with the nation, you went to meetings throughout the week. And so there were times my parents would come on for meetings and they would say stuff like, they were in there talking to the brother and the brother got his head chopped off. And it was like, whoa, they chopped someone's head off? But no, they literally, literally did not chop someone's head off. What that meant was if there was an issue going on with a particular person or persons they will call call you out in front of everyone and address the situation. And sometimes it meant, as they say, chopping your head off. Really making you understand you're wrong, and hopefully learn how to correct that wrong into a right. So, you had different segments uh, or fragments, if you will, and within the religion. You had the FOI, which is the fruit of our Islam, fruit of our Islam, and that was a prestigious part of the nation because you dealt with security. If you were FOI, you dealt with handling, um, you may have been responsible for certain groups within the religion. Also the women, there were women lieutenants who helped with the women in terms of making sure that they understood the religion, their responsibilities as a wife to a Muslim man. and, and, And then also for the brothers, Cause we referred us we referred to ourselves as brothers and sisters they would share with them and teach them the responsibilities that they had as a as a man and as a husband and also as a father um, which is great and then they would have these drills and these contests and you would march and you would drill and you would left lane march right lane march right lane march left lane march so they would do these various drills and, and and that's just to keep you sharp and disciplined and strong and also in unison. So a lot of Muslims at the time, particularly the men, and I don't want to, I can't give a percentage of it, but were former prison prisoners, and you have to go back to so that time in the late sixties, seventies, a lot of black men come off of Vietnam. There's a lot going on in that time. You have Vietnam. You have, the, like I said, the civil rights movement, and so finding their way. So unfortunately, some of us may have gotten into some type of trouble, petty crimes, or and may have done some jail time. But once they were in there, they were introduced to the nation, and they came out and they had a place to go to help transform their lives. So those those, those were awesome things that the nation presented. And moving forward with this. The most beautiful thing, or one of the most beautiful things about the nation is the community. There was a community. And within that community, we had the mosque slash temples all throughout Philadelphia. We had them in West Philly. Like I said, mosque number five, I believe it was number five was around the corner from us. That um, Broad in Susquehanna, and I'll get back to that, which was a major location, which is still in Philly and we had a few other uh, temples throughout north philadelphia i believe in south philly as well so there were several miles throughout the city where brothers and sisters could go to get their teachings to get their learning and to get stronger every day as human beings and as muslims we also had at the time we um, had the school which was muhammad university we had a bakery they had a barbershop they had cleaners and within that of course They had the Daily's juice, which we sold and drank, and um, Muhammad Speaks, which was the newspaper to inform you about worldly conditions and also the nation itself. And we, of course, everyone knows Muslims for the bean pies, and they're still fresh and delicious till this day. So to have that community, Black-owned business, on top of the black owned businesses that I shared with you in, in West Philadelphia was, was, was a delight to see for me as a, as, a, as a, as a young man at four or five years old. And, um, one day I attended Huey elementary, which was on 52nd, 52nd and pine. Again, being able to go to school to see all these, uh, again, black businesses and like I said, people on laundry mats and things like that. And that, it was like a two block walk to school and two block boat back and forth to school. And so one day I come home from school from Hilly and uh, this is my parents. This is in the seventies, mind you. And um, I come home and my dad hands me this white button down shirt in the package. He's like, Oh, this is your shirt. I was like, oh, okay. Thank you. I went to my room, put on the dresser. Didn't take anything of it. Did my homework, ate dinner, spent time with my family. I think I, took a bath that night before I went to bed and went to bed and that was it. So about, I would say either four or five in the morning, the next day, both my parents come into the room, get up, get up, get up. The, the bus is out there, the bus is out there. I'm like the bus, what, what are you talking about? The bus is there. And my dad goes, where's the shirt I gave you? The shirt, the white shirt I gave you yesterday. Oh, I'm like, it's it's on a dresser. Mind you, I'm literally just awaking out of my sleep four or five o'clock in the morning, both of them in the room, getting me up. He's asking for the white shirt. She's grabbing my pants, putting clothes on me, telling me to go in and wash my face and brush my teeth because I did, like I said, take a bath the night before. And they're like, the bus is outside. I'm like, what bus? The bus for you to go to school to Muhammad University. Muhammad University? I go to UWE. My parents had transferred me to Muhammad University. I didn't know until the, until I found out that next morning. So at this point, I think it might have been April of my first grade year, and because I know it was springtime, and I finished the rest of the school year at Muhammad University, where the school bus picked me up real early. It was dark in the morning, like five, five thirty, and I go to the school. But now I'm in the school with all Muslim children, and or it's brought in Susquehanna. The building is still there, and learn so much about, of course, education, but about the religion. I wind up finishing first grade there, but by the second grade, I did go back to Huey all the way up until the fifth grade. And then after the fifth grade, I wind up going to Sister Clara Muhammad, and I'll get back to that in a few. So that was one of the Main, well, excuse me, one of the main um, parts of the community. So you had your school, the mosque, the bakery, the barbershop, as I said, cleaners. Have, and these were Black-owned businesses by owned by, by Muslims within the nation. One of the most profitable businesses the nation had was Whiting H&G fish business. And in this fish business, the Muslim brothers worked on these trucks. We had several trucks. I'm speaking particularly in Philly. They had them in Chicago. They had them in Boston, New York. But right here in Philadelphia, the business was flourishing. And the brothers would ride on the trucks all day, go throughout the neighborhoods of Philadelphia, and sell fish. My father was one of those guys. My father worked on the fish truck. And... I remember as a kid in the summertime, it's hot, humid, and you could smell <laughs> you could smell the truck from about a half a block away because it's hot and it's full of fish. But what I didn't realize, for like a whole year, we ate fish. I mean, I, as a kid, it's like, okay, whatever your parents cook, you're going to eat, right? You're hungry. And it didn't dawn on me till we spoke about it years later that we eat fish every every day, every day for a year, every day. And I remember my mother making barbecue fish. Uh, we had fish, sausage, and particularly on Sundays, my cousin Shirley, shout out to Shirley who's Muslim, uh, she would be at our house on Sunday to eat because while well, my dad worked for the for the, for a uh, Whitey H and G, which is the 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 fishing business owned by the nation and we we got the best fish so that was a treat so back so moving forward so august of 1974 my grandmother um my grandma mary my mom's mom purchased a house in west philly on 61st street that's how far west philly goes yeah 52nd street 61st street i mean west philadelphia honestly west philadelphia and north philly were the two largest uh is of philadelphia south philly doesn't cover as much as those area and northeast philly is like way on the other side like away way above the city so that's like so farther out but though but west philly and north philly are two largest parts of philadelphia now my grandmother purchases this house in august of 74 she moves in and i remember that day because as they were uh, moving my grandmother into the house I remember them saying set the TV up set the TV up because Sonny's going to be on TV and they called my dad Sonny and they set the television up and they had the time and everything and they turned on the TV and there was my dad's commercial he he was featured in the commercial for Whiting H&G which is the fishing business that the nation owned and he he didn't speak, but he was the featured actor, meaning there was someone there was someone doing a voiceover talking about the fish business. And you saw my my dad's face, his full face, and then he turned around because he had the work uniform on, and you saw the, the name of the company writing H and G on the back. And I was like, oh, That's my dad, you know? And that's how wait a minute, that's how not that's how prestige or that's how much growth the nation had at the time where now not only are you having you you have your religion you have your um your your businesses but you have money to even now advertise and have commercials for your fish business so now what that's going to do is because they didn't by the way folks they didn't just sell fish to muslims they just did not sell fish to muslims they sold to anybody who wanted to purchase the fish? So there was no discrimination. Oh, I'm not selling you the fish because you're not Muslim. No, 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 no. It was, it was, it was more so to show us as Black people that we could do for self. And I, and again, I often reflect when I, as I've gotten older and I learn more about Black Wall Street and 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 and, and, and how those businesses flourish uh, out in Oklahoma with the hotels and the cab businesses and the banks and those things, how those flourished. And unfortunately it was taken down uh, by racist Klansmen and, 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 and other people of that nature. So then I think about Rosewood, how they, that business, those black businesses flourished in Florida and how they were taken down. So to have that again in the 70s with with, with, with this religion was, was 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 just an amazing thing to experience as a young child. So one day, we were um, my dad and I were at Mosque Number Five, and this 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 night the the, the Muslim brothers we they were fired up and they were excited, and they said, brothers and sisters, we decided we voted. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad is speaking. I think it was Founders Day, and the Founders Day is a big event in the nation. It still goes on, and I'll get to that a little later, where you come out and you support. And, and 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 it's a celebration of the religion of 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 what we of what the nation was about. And they said, We're going. We're gonna get the buses and we're going. And I guess they figured out how much money it would cost per family. And I remember leaving that night, and my dad said, Son, we're going to Chicago to see the honorable Elijah Muhammad. And sure enough, my dad, both my parents, when they said we were going to do something, they usually did it. And so my bro- my brother, Thais, was just born. I think it was because, yeah, because I was like five. So he might have been like a year. He might have been like a year old. So he didn't go. He stayed with my grandmother. And so moving forward, my mom, my dad, and I get on the Greyhound bus with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Muslims throughout Philadelphia on our way to Chicago. Now, mind you, I'm five years old. So for a five-year-old kid, I think the trip from Chicago to Philly is like 14, 12 to 14 hours. So for a five-year-old kid, that feels like a whole week. But um, we got to Chicago and I remember pulling in, we were on Greyhound. I remember pulling to the bus station and going into the bathroom with my dad and all the Muslim brothers. The, they were you know, washing their face, brushing their teeth, uh, shaving if they had to shave and getting themselves together getting their bow ties together because now we're in chicago now we're about to go to see the honorable elijah muhammad and um i just remember washing my face brushing my teeth i know we ate at some point and um unfortunately they lost my mother and i's l- luggage like so my dad had his luggage and i guess my mom packed my clothes into her luggage but they they lost it however fortunately we did get it back after the trip so again more, after the brothers got cleaned up and the sisters got cleaned up and let me just go back for a minute so i'll I talk about that with the dress so the sisters had to wear chemars and skirts so again the way to present themselves as they say with dignity and things like that so that was part of the dress as well so everyone gets cleaned up everyone's getting ready because we're going now to go see the honorable Elijah Muhammad. And we get there and remember this big, huge auditorium, if you will. And um felt like a long time before he came out. And uh finally he came out. It was packed. I mean it was packed. Foul. I don't I don't know. Hundreds, hundreds of people. And he came out to start to speak. And of course as soon as he started to speak, five-year-old Damon fell asleep. This is nothing towards like I Elijah Muhammad. It's just that I was five years old, so um, what you're gonna do? But I did see him, and it, it it was the experience to this day resonates with me because one, my dad said we were gonna go and see him, and we did. the, the let me say that the Muslims, I re, I remember that night how charged up they were to go see him, and then my dad said we we were going, and we did. And, and the journey to get there and to experience that was, was, was will always sit with me. And I believe uh, a year later or so he might have died. So I believe that they knew some people in the end knew that he may have gotten sick and really wanted to make that trip. the The thing that the thing that um, changed when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad passed away. Was that his son Wareth, who was one time Wallace, but he changed his name to Warth, was groomed to take over the religion, and he did. And because now Warth, at the time, he I may mean, Allah bestow peace upon his soul, had studied abroad. And when he studied abroad, he learned more of the worldly aspects of the religion. So he learned Arabic, which we were taught. He learned uh, the, the teachings of Prophet Muhammad, something, what I'm saying. And so once his dad died, he then transitioned the religion into more of the worldly part, and he called it the American Muslim Mission. Now, I will say this. Some Muslims did not follow Worf's teachings. Some Muslims decided to remain in the nation. Uh, my father and my mom followed Worf's teachings and moving forward. Adapted or adopted the more worldly philosophy of Islam. That didn't mean uh, they didn't carry what the, the nation taught them, because they 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 always taught us to do for self, to stay educated, but wanted to follow his teachers. It was the right move. It, it's, it's nothing bad about that. It was nothing wrong. And so, what the one thing that I would have liked to have seen, and I've shared this with older Muslim brothers. Now, I, I wish we would have able to keep our community. So people say, well, what happened to the bakeries? Like, so when I mentioned to you that I attended Muhammad University. One of the treats was after school with these, mind you, we had school buses and everything. Um, they would take you to the bakery and you would, at this bakery you would get, they had carrot cake. They had uh, bean pies, of course, um, all types of sweet potato pies and things like that. And so once, once, uh, Elijah Muhammad transitioned, and then the nation changed a lot. And like I said, a lot of people started following the teachings of Warthi Muhammad. Um, slowly but surely, those businesses that I that I that I so raved about were no longer. Uh, they didn't have the barbershops, the cleaners, the, the the fishing business had had folded, unfortunately. And so I'll say this: there's stories I don't. Know what to I, I'm not saying I don't want to say I don't know what to believe. I just don't have enough information to share what really happened. Some people say that the government came in for tax reasons, and that's one of the reasons why some of the businesses have folded within the community. Others are stories that you had. Remember how I mentioned some brothers had been incarcerated prior to joining the nation, were still doing quote unquote uh, criminal things within. Uh, The religion, I'm sharing this, but I'm not saying this to be fact. I don't know. Um, But what I do know is this, is that whatever happened while the nation was around, there was structure, women were respected. If I'm going to give you an example, at that time, if you saw, like, I say, say, say they called the joints back then. If, if a dude was on the corner smoking the joint, or drinking the beer, and a Muslim sister walked by with her on skirt, they would put that out. That's how that's how much respect the nation had. Even because you, you you you're drinking and smoking in the corners, and you see Muslim sister, oh, excuse me, sister, I'm like them, you know. So you you have people saying "Assalamu alaikum," which means peace onto you, Wallaikum Asalaam, unto you be peace. You have you have brothers and sisters who were not even Muslim saying that because probably because they may have had a brother or, or relative who, who was in the nation, but they knew about, it. they knew the nation. The nation resonated throughout the communities of West Philadelphia and Philadelphia beyond. So when I look back at that, I often miss that part of the religion, that structure, that community that we had. And so moving forward, later, as I shared with you, I had gone back to Huey from second grade to fifth grade, and by the sixth grade, my parents had transferred me to Sister Clara Muhammad. So it was no longer Muhammad University. They had had bought another building and named it Sister Clara Muhammad, and Sister Clara Muhammad is the wife, or was the wife, I should say, of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the mother of Worthy Muhammad. And at that school is where I met, who is now my wife, Sahar. She Sahar went through Muhammad University, and Sister Claire Muhammad. She went to Muslim school all of her life after graduating and moving on to Hampton University, and and graduating uh, from Hampton, and also going on to Widener to get her master's. So, within the religion, education was always stress, uh stressed upon us, and. I met my wife and I met her mom, Sister Nazareth, who was my mother-in-law, and, and her and her dad, brother Benjamin. Again, they all started out in the nation as well and transition and the following the teachings of Worthy Muhammad. So and even while we were still at my, uh, Sister Claire Mohammed, there was community, right? We had um Family Night where uh, Coca-Cola sponsored. I think is yes, Pepsi Coca-Cola sponsors. And a major radio station, WDES, will come in and, and have a basketball game and fun night. So, so, so there was still a sense of community there, with that. Now, one of one of the things that, like I said, while one wanted the 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 to transition or to teach us more about the village aspect, because Muslims learned about you know more taking high, even though you knew about that in the nation, but. Uh, going on Hajj, which is the Muslim pilgrimage and things like that. So he again wanted to open it up to more of the religious aspect of it and kind of not have it so of a black movement. But again, at that time, it was needed. And one of the things that uh, that that it tells told me and showed me that we as a people, once we're unified, we are unified, we we can't be denied. And my mom as I shared with you, had uh, worked at Shapiro shoe stores, shoe store, excuse me. And Mr. S respected my mom's religious beliefs. Um, she wore her kimar, her skirt to work. And he's a Jewish man who owned this store, but he loved my mom. And uh, to the amount when he passed away, my mom even went to his funeral. So I often think about how the great late Muhammad Ali, who was Muslim, was in the nation, and Angelo Dundee, who, by the way, was from South Philadelphia, his trainer still trained Ali and 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 accepted and respected his religious beliefs. So there are people in this world of different cultures who were able to accept and respect those who were in the nation. And my mother being one, and of course the great Muhammad Ali. Um, so as a young man growing up in, in the nation, there's a part of me that's always going to still be in the nation. Um, I've, I've had a chance to, uh, the nation of Islam still exists. Um, right now the minister Louis Farrakhan is, is the head leader, but they're, they're a mosque and um nation of Islam mosques throughout the, the, the country, Philly, Jersey, New York, Boston, of course, Chicago, of course. And, you know, I, I've seen, uh, the minister Louis Farrakhan speak. I saw him speak in L.A. some years ago, right? Be, actually, right before the Million Man March. And again, like I will share this with you, I will say to people, you know, white folks can come. White folks did come to the meetings because they were being investigated. Let's be real. The, the Muslims were being investigated because in the United States, during that time, people like J. Edgar Hoover and all those. When, when any time black people, this, 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 this is interesting to me. United States says, "Oh, we don't want you relying on government." Okay, fine. So if you go back to Black Wall Street, black people were flourishing and, and businesses were profiting. They didn't like that, and they they burned that down not once but twice. Same with Rosewood, didn't like that, got destroyed. That those communities. When we have our own. It's like the other one, the other side. Let's just I'm gonna be frank, white government don't like that because they needed us to rely on them so that they can have the control. But once we established our own, it takes away their power, it takes away their money, and then we're putting money back into our communities. And that's the part that I truly, truly miss and would like to incorporate. Not only say this to say, you can go through any city, right? and you have a Chinatown, you have uh, right where I live near City Line Avenue here in Philadelphia, on the other side, the Hasidic Jewish community, the uh, Orthodox Jewish community, excuse me. Then you have the Italian communities. In the movie Rocky, where he's running through the Italian market, my grandmother used to take me down there every Saturday morning to get her fruits and, fruits and vegetables. So you have all these communities, the Italian community, uh, the Jewish community, the Asian community have their own businesses and neighborhoods and they they should, They, they should be allowed to have that, right? Because that's how we grow, that's how we learn. But when we had our own governments, like, no, you can't have that, right? I can go in Chinatown in Philadelphia right now, they had banks, stores, restaurants, literally like a whole blocks of community. And so other than the quote unquote ghetto, if you will, where where are our communities? Where, we don't have that. I remember going to, I mentioned Mr. Mitchell's market. My mother sent me to the store one day. And what I thought was, I, I forget my ignorance. I I'm a kid when I said, I said, why is this Chinese person behind the counter? And they were Korean. I, I didn't know, I'm, again, that's um at that time eight nine years old and that was the first time the asians started coming to the communities and black people were selling their businesses to them and so that transition or transformed started the transition of black people um i remember like in the late 70s selling their businesses and so now one by one little by little those those businesses begin to dissolve right and other cultures taking over those businesses in those stores so i now i go into a store and at the time mr mitchell was like we didn't have to do this but sometimes people say hey, mr mitchell can i get a credit he we'll would give you credit and things like that a lot of black business owners did at the time but somehow, and it's a whole deal how that happened, I'm, I'm not going to go into how the Asians were able to come into the community to get, to buy the business, that's that's for another day, but my point being is that anytime we as black people had our own, somehow the government found a way to take it away from us or we allowed it, also that's to me is even better, we allowed that to happen, yes, we allowed that to happen, so to, to 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 my experience with it still resonates with me, and one of the things that we learned in the religion is uh, reading the Quran, and in reading the Quran, you learned Arabic. So just want to take a second to uh, share with you uh, a surah from the Quran, surah thirty-five. Which is the originator of creation? I'm going to first read it to you in Arabic and then I'm going to read it to you and translate it in English. Bismillah Rahman Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Fa'ti ri al samawati al Aldi. Ja'ili alma'la'ikadi. Sudan uyel Rajnihatin. Mushai wa thala fa waru ya'u. What I just read and shared with you was, in the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful, praises be to Allah, who created out of nothing the heavens and the earth, who made the angels messengers with wings, two or three or four pairs he adds to creation as he pleases for Allah has power over all things and Allah is referred to as God it's the Arabic term for God i thank you for allowing me to share my story and uh it gave me a chance to reflect on some good times some good moments um, as a Muslim growing up and all of that I experienced. I want to thank my parents. Um, my dad, Carver Sultan Salim, my mother, Darnell Salim, and um, and to my brother, Thais, and to my sister, Farida, and to my younger sister, Jamila. And um, so I thank them and, and, and for introducing us to the religion. We also were taught to read the Bible as well. I must say that, yes. Yes, in the nation, they told us to read both the Quran and the Bible. Thank you. Be well. Be safe. Be at peace. As we say in Islam, Assalamu Alaikum.
1: Thank you for listening. We'll be right back.
2: We believe that a natural and organic beverage for health-conscious people who want to restore and maintain the body's essential balance is available with our tasty and refreshing Kombucha EXL. Kombucha EXL is a wholesome drink that has been brewing since 2005, boasting 100% natural ingredients that will support your overall health. Kombucha EXL is only 10 calories per serving, far better than a soft drink. It's a delicious path to healthy. Order yours today at kombuchaexl.com. That's K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A-E-X-L dot You're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul, where storytellers gather around the mic.
1: Welcome back to Radio Theater for Your Soul, where storytellers gather around the mic. I'm your host, Shani C.L. Coleman, also known as Courageous Love, and you just heard the first featured storyteller of this new year, 2022. He's a family man, an actor, writer, filmmaker, and teaching artist, Mr. Damon P. (laughs)
3: Salih. Hey, how you guys doing? <laughs> how thank you doing? Thank
1: you. We're good. We're good. Please tell our listeners how or where they can hear you, see you, or contact you.
3: Um, well, right now, the best place to see or hear from me is Facebook. um That's probably the only social media platform that I am on right now. I have to guess expand that, I have that conversation with my son all the time. So I'll get there. But right now, it's Facebook. You can easily find me on Facebook.
1: Okay, as Damon P. Salim on Facebook.
3: Correct. Correct. Damon P. Salim on Facebook.
1: All right. Now, listeners, I am live with featured storyteller Damon P. Selim, who just shared his story about growing up in the nation of Islam, about family and so much more. Damon, is yes. there anything else you would like to share that you didn't get a chance to during your presentation?
3: Yeah. So I often... Um had this lingering thought. And that's just how my mind works. Like, like, like I said, in growing up in a nation, like it was so many positive things going on around the community um, and that and how people, uh, even even if they were not Muslim, like respected the Muslims, they respected the Muslim brothers who were walking down the street or respected the Muslim sisters. And then so often wonder, like when crack hit our neighborhoods, like what would that have been like if the Muslims were still as strong as they were um, in the 70s, w- would that have made a difference? So that's something I you know, always kind of wonder in the back of my mind. but um, because I think I think when I reason why I raised that question because I, I, I kind of I, I know it's like kind of left the old question is because and I, I don't want to go deep into it, but I know that that was something that was uh, placed upon us like in a, in a purposeful purposeful way. But not, not in a healthy way, but it was done deliberately. That's the better word. So I often wonder if we were stronger had we've been able to prevent a lot of our brothers and sisters who are falling victim to that. Because unfortunately, everyone has a family member, or at least I know of, you know, that went through that, unfortunately. And I just wonder if that would have made a big difference if we were a little bit stronger in that area. So I'll never know. But this is the wondering thought of mine. But my dad, just to add, who I talked about throughout the story, Really held um great a great position in the nation. He was um he did security for some of the uh, Muslim leaders and, and everything. He was really like really involved in it. And 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 I'm definitely definitely grateful to be a son and to you know have been around it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And now you mentioned being in the nation in the story. You mentioned that it helped the family. Of course, it helps mm-hmm. a lot. It helped a lot of black folks. Um, change the perception of who we are, the diet, modest clothing, most importantly, community and discipline. How has the community and the discipline play? How did it play a role and how is it playing a role in your family life now and in your artistic life?
3: Oh, very good question. So it's one of those things, as I said, like I met my wife, Sahar, when I was 11, um, when I, went to my, when I attended Muhammad University, or, uh, excuse me, Sister Claire Muhammad, when I attended Sister Claire Muhammad. And um, we, we didn't date at that time. We just happened to know each other and our families lived around a corner from one another. And her, her uh, sister Naima and my sister Farida became close. And then her younger sister uh, Kadria and my younger sister Jamila became good friends, close friends. And then our parents were always close. And so how it's affected is that now that she's my wife like our children are Muslim, and then like um, my 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 uh, nieces and nephews are Muslim, so it's 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 uh, traveled into the family. Like we we we're now building legacies of Muslims in our family, um, and and teaching them the things that we learned as Muslims, the proper diet, and teaching my son how to respect women uh, and T in in showing the, my nieces and, and things how to be respectful to themselves and others. So, so the tradition has carried on may not be exactly the same structure as I had, you know, in the nation, but definitely similarities in the fact that my wife grew up as a Muslim and then I grew up as a Muslim, we're able to share those stories with, with, with our son and, and my stepson, Nazim. Um, so they, they, they're both, uh, are affected by that in a good way. And then now um, we, you know, we do Ram, like my son Ansar who's 17 has been doing Ramadan since he was 12 and like full out from 15 on. And 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 so all those disciplines, fasting and celebrating uh, the id, those, those things are still traditions in our family. And it's affected me as an artist because now, one, by the fact that my dad uh, had me uh, grow up in the religion and expose me, not just to the religion, but my dad also introduced me to art, taking us to the art museum in Philadelphia, the famous uh, art museum where Rocky runs up the steps. So we would go there on Sundays and, and look at art and paintings. And at the time I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't like, but he knew <laughs> in time I would grow to appreciate it. And I do, I love art. And so the roles that I play, um, the roles that I write and create, they have to be meaningful and purposeful. Doesn't always mean like they have to be real serious, but but definitely with some dignity, de- definitely with some pride and some information. So I'm 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 always a human being first, a Muslim because Muslim means one to submit to God, but also upholding that dignity in terms of the roles and things that I choose to write and act about.
1: I love that. And so are you still a member of the nation of Islam? Because I I'm here now how much it affected your, like how it affected your life growing up. And I know that you're still Muslim, but right. can you explain the difference to our listeners?
3: Sure. So to answer your question, technically I'm not a member of the nation, but I guess my heart is, is still because, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll break down a little difference. So um, Jeremiah Shabazz, he passed on, he was a, prominent leader in the nation here in Philadelphia um actually he helped groom uh, Malcolm X um and, and there's a book about him but his his wife and my mom Jeremiah Sebias passed on and my dad used to do security for him his, his he passed on but but his wife and my mother um, are still friends and a couple of years ago before all the pandemic stuff happened they had a uh, an event at his house and my mom said wow you would have loved to have been there because a lot of them still, I just love their conversations in, in, in terms of community and what we had and what we stood for. So what happened was, as I said in this story, um, St. Elijah Muhammad, which for me was the first and last time as a kid, at that time, I, I believe, like I said, a lot of people knew he was about to transition. And so when his son Worf took over, and Ward, let me say this: I, I've seen war speak, a great leader. He's passed on. Passed on about ten years ago. He mm-hmm. exposed us to more of the the religious side of 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 Islam, whereas though the nation was religion, but it was more of a black movement. But what people have to understand, it was needed at that time because of the, because of what was going on in the late '60s into the '70s, where black people, in to this day, I think, was still trying to find their place here in the United States. So. For a lot of black people, particularly my family, my mother and father and my wife's uh, parents, uh, Brother Benjamin and Sister Nazareth, my mother in law, for them to join at that time and coming out of Christian homes and Catholic homes where parents were like, how dare you, you know, rebel against the Bible. But it wasn't so much rebelling against the Bible of God. It was more so finding something that they connected with, because you got to remember, right, Shanice? So they had images of Jesus with the white blonde hair blue eyes right and in the yeah. nation what we were taught to never envision god to never try to see what god looked like um actually they told us that god was black but never try to really envision him but but to, and that was a matter of showing respect right to the to the most high you don't want to put any type of images on him or anything like that and so with the nation was needed because at that time black folks were kind of just going along with what white society was telling them to do. Right. And I'm not saying it was all bad because my grandmother was Baptist. Um, other one was Christian and, and that, that worked for them. Right. And and it was, it, it got them to help us to raise us. But what the nation did, it gave you that, wow, we, we are great. We are good. And we can be what they're saying we can't be. So it gave you that pride. It gave you something to like, yeah, I'm a Muslim, and Muslim means one who submits to God. So basically, when once you, once you made that commitment to submit to God, no man can stop you from being or doing what you need to do to become the best human being you could be. It right. no, felt like there were no limitations because you knew you came from the greatest high. And they taught us that. They instilled that into you every day be better empower yourself and don't rely on man to make you better rely on God and self and that and that was that was a constant in their teachings. So that part of it definitely resonates and sticks with me is and remains with me I should say but you no know, I'm I, I did along with my family follow the universal teachings and which is great right which is great mm-hmm. because you 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 discovered there's um different Muslims of different cultures and even Malcolm X when he made Hodge realize that before his transition. So um, but, but, but I still think we should have kept uh, just to thread that part of the nation with us along the way.
1: Right. That empowerment that con- that comes from the nation is what most black people in America really need, you know, and yeah. need it, you know, still need today um, the discipline. So thank you for for breaking that down and explaining that to everybody. Uh, oh, right. we are winding down. You're welcome. Okay, so we are winding down on time, but before okay. <laughs> we close, <laughs> is there anything you would like to say to anyone, to your family, friends, anyone that might listen to this podcast in the future? Anything else you'd like to share or say?
3: Yeah, I just I just want to say, well, first of all, I want to thank you. I think I think Radio Theater for Soul is so dope. Um, and for me, thanks for having me on. It it allowed me to um, express that story that I, because I really hadn't talked about it in in that um, that 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 format. But it it, it allowed me to reflect on how I grew up and and being appreciative of it. And and as this little boy, like, wow, I had all these beautiful black businesses around me. We had the nation. I just felt protected. And then when a lot of that was gone, trying to bring that back. So for me, as an artist that's part of my drive in my in my acting and my writing and my filmmaking to really get the message out to us and others that you we, we we're powerful we're powerful people we're truly <laughs> powerful human beings and um, if, if collectively collectively we could do we could do some real wonderful things out here so that that's that pretty much be it like this just keep trying to uplift not only yourself and your families, but always try to uplift the community. Like by me sharing that with you, that helps you. And then that helps me as well, right? So that's, and yeah, you and I, we go back 30 years in our relationship, but, mm-hmm. and, and, and there's a brother and sisterhood right there, but you call me and ask to to help and I'm sure I'm there for you. So that's what we need to be doing for one another. We have to support each other. And, and, and I think that that kind of gets lost along the way with people's success. I'm not judging. Mm-hmm. I want everybody to find a <laughs> success, but also- <laughs> You yes. know what I mean? But but, yeah, but try yeah. to get, get bring that other one up as well. Because they're doing that. They're right. doing that. Trust me when I tell you. So we have to do each that one, for
1: Each one and reach one. Each one, yes, reach and that's one, pull them up. Yeah,
3: that's right. Yeah. That's real. That's real. And all those communities that I mentioned in the piece, that's great that they have those. They should have that. But we need to have ours. And and that's what's missing, Chinese. That You're from Detroit. You know what I'm talking about you go to yeah. you can they got these little Italys in in new york and sh- in chinatowns but we're our communities we're just labeled as the ghetto but no we had all of that we had it and we can get it back. So that's what I want to see.
1: That's right. That's right. Well said, Damon. Thank you again to all who are listening. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to anchor by Spotify for providing this podcast platform. And it has been my pleasure to host my friend, family, man, actor, writer, filmmaker, and teaching artist, Mr. (laughs) Damon.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. Thank you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. So I do one more thing before, before I bid you adieu. Is there something you can share with us? Just so we can hear your voice one more time.
3: All right. So I'll 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 do um so um the al-Fatiha, which which is which which is it is uh how we open up the prayer. We go, Bismillah rahim Alhamdulillah. In the name of Allah the magnificent, the most merciful. I submit to God, there's no one other than God. Allah is God, it's the Arabic term for God and that's how we address God. And that's universal across the board. So I share that with you because we had to learn that language. And if you saw roots, people, in the (laughs) original roots, they they said, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. And by, by the way, in the Bible, and I had this conversation with you. I'm not going to religious debate, but in the Bible, at the end of the Bible, and, I, and by the way, yes, they, the nation taught us to read the Bible as well. So I read both the Quran and the Bible, by the way. They did they teach mm-hmm. us that. So mm-hmm. in the Bible, when Jesus is on the cross, he says, la ila Allah. It's in the Bible. Why for thou God forsake me? Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Just a thought to share with you. So when people talk about Jesus and his journey, and we're taught to share that and, 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 re, and respect that. Jesus was tapped into that energy as well. So, and, and um, yeah, I just shared a little bit of the Al-Fatiha with you. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrahmanirrahim.
1: Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that, Dylan.
3: <laughs> you know appreciate
1: that. you. you know I'm you? Shani Co. Coleman, also known as Courageous Love. I'll be right back to tell you what's happening. Don't move.
2: We believe that a natural and organic beverage for health-conscious people who want to restore and maintain the body's essential balance is available with our tasty and refreshing Kombucha EXL. Kombucha EXL is a wholesome drink that has been brewing since 2005, boasting 100% natural ingredients that will support your overall health. Kombucha EXL is only 10 calories per serving, far better than a soft drink. It's a delicious path to healthy. Order yours today at kombuchaexl.com. That's K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A-E-X-L.com. You're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul with your host, Shanice C.L. Coleman.
1: Please tune in again next week or anytime at your convenience to hear another great story and another great storyteller right here on Radio Theater for Your Soul, where storytellers gather around the mic. And finally, I sign off weekly with a poem or what I call a poetic offering. If you have ever felt God, Allah, you know the pleasure in walking down a city block infested with evil. Even there, life can be a six-hour game of dominoes, a mango, and celia cruz. Even there, the sound of drums echo from the third-floor brownstone on the corner. Uh Uh-huh, the brownstone that you thought was abandoned for so long. Even there, children managed to play a full-court game of basketball on the sidewalk with a milk crate tied to a street sign. Oh, if you have ever felt God alive, you know the pleasure in walking down a city block infested with evil. Even there, people smile and laugh and pray and bear witness to their invincibility. Uh-huh, even there. That poem is titled, Even There, written by yours truly. This is Radio Theater for Your Soul. My name is Shani C.L. Coleman, also known as Courageous Love. Thank you so much for listening.
0: It's Radio Theater for your soul. It's Radio Theater for your soul. with storytellers gather around the mic. Come on, let's go readings, traditional, contemporary, original, scripted plays, film, and poetry. The storytellers gather around the mic to be with your host, Miss Shawnice C.L. Coleman, A.K.A. Courageous Love. Always just a cut above. Yeah. So